Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory, to live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Michael O'Brien is the author of Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows, and loves tackling hard things like his recent cross-country ride across the United States. But what he loves even more is helping others do the same. He is a former healthcare executive, and today he's an executive coach, meditation teacher, and founder of the Pause, Breathe, and Reflect meditation app, which will be out in October. I highly recommend that you check that out. Now, his recovery from a near-death cycling experience was the catalyst to the seminal shift that changes perspective, mindset, and actions. It put Michael on a path to create better tomorrows at work and in life. It sparked an executive career progression, which helped him find happiness and passion for business leadership development, and the Peloton Executive Coaching. You can learn more about Michael's powerful work and to order a copy of his book, Shift, at michaelobrienshift.com. Michael, you were just sizzling right now. It's so good to have you back, my friend, and I can't wait to get into this conversation. Let me tell everybody that you rode across the United States on a bike. You had a a team, but it was very much just you, the bike, and the open air in the entire thing. Tell us about that. Tell us about the days. Tell us about the nights. Tell us about the experience. Awesome. Well, first, Marcus, so, so stoked to be with you again. I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm glad we get a chance to connect and talk about this thing and talk about doing hard damn things and making ripples happen. Hell yeah. So the ride was originally designed to go from Astoria, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia, across the quintessential Trans-America Trail. That was created back in 1976. They called it the Bike Centennial because we were celebrating the Bicentennial. I changed the route, and we'll get into this halfway through. So I ended up going from Astoria, Oregon, through Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and we finished up in D.C. at the Lincoln Memorial. So 3,600 miles. 41 days, 87 miles a day, average about 17 miles an hour, six hours thereabouts, a little bit less than six hours in the saddle each day. Like went through rain and hail, like sleet at one point, thunderstorms, excessive heat of the summer. In Kansas, it got up one day to 113 before the heat index. It was nuts. And it was so cool. It was so awesome. You know, the one thing I said early on is like, this country is not perfect, but man, it's beautiful and it's filled with beautiful people. And as I finished up in Washington, D.C., it basically reconfirmed my love for this country. Again, we have things that we have to work on, no doubt about it, but it's worth fighting for. It's worth getting into the game. We have good people. 
we see things differently, yes, but I believe that when we come together and really connect, we can appreciate our differences and get to work on creating a better tomorrow for all of us. And so for me, like, yeah, I fell in love with the beauty. There are moments, Marcus, where I just had to stop my bike and drop my jaw. It was like, holy cow, like, this is so freaking beautiful. And it's like people live out here, not many people, because <laughs> I was out in the West, but people live out here and, oh my gosh. And I wondered, like, do people out here take this for granted? And I was like, if I, if I live out here, I'd never take this for granted. But we all know in life, we take things for granted. That's the power of gratitude, hopefully, to counterbalance that. But yeah, it was epic. You know, so glad we did it. And I hope we send a really good, powerful ripple out there to people that you can do hard things as well, because that was a hard thing to do. It is. And what does that show us? It shows us that because everybody wants to be stronger. Everybody wants resilience. Everybody wants to be more at peace. Everybody wants more presence. But you also have to want that hard thing. You also have to want the adversity just as much as you want the strength because people want to try to circumvent that. But you know, you're like, listen, I have to lean into this thing if I really want to get the full benefit from it because there's something about life. There's something about energy, the universe that knows if you're bullshitting. Oh, yeah. It knows if you're faking it, right? And it will call you on it day and night, even whenever you're trying to pat yourself on the back for being smart or accomplishing something that I'm not trying to say the incremental things are not important, but what you did, like this is truly a hero's journey. What inspires you to want to do this? Well, I did have a dream of riding my bike across the country. I thought it was like, when I was younger, I thought, oh, this is really cool. And when I came and up to adulthood and I was still cycling and I was running and the whole thing like that. And then I had my accident. That whole dream of riding my bike across the country was thrown in the trash, basically. The doctor said, hey, dude, you're lucky to be alive. Like you're going to walk, as we talked about in the past, you're going to walk with limitation. You're not going to, you're probably not going to ride again. They really said a message and they were trying to be kind. I do not blame them at all. Right. They were trying to set my expectations. And they were like, listen, dude, you should just be grateful for what you have. It's like, forget about those big dreams. Just like, be happy you're alive and you have time with your kids and your wife. And I was like, at first, I went pretty dark, as you know. And then I had an aha. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to live differently. Like, it's a big shift. And even as I came back into riding and I regained enough health to start racing again. And I was doing like long events. I had friends like in the long distance cycling world. They're like, ah, yeah, it's, it's great, Michael, that you've gotten this far, but riding your bike across the country, I, I wouldn't advise it. You know, you have some problems, right? You have some issues. And so what I learned a lot, Marcus, along the way is that the doubt that was coming from other people, it wasn't about the doubt that they had in me. It's the doubt that they have in within themselves. So I had a, one of my buddies who sent me a text after the ride was over. He was like, great job. Great job, OB. Like, you did it. I had my doubt, but you proved me wrong. And I was like, yo, brother, like, you didn't have doubt in me. You had doubt in you, whether you could do it. So there are a lot of people like, well, how are you going to do it? Like, I can't do it. So any like the doubters or throwing the shade and all that stuff like that, what I heard was like that, that was just doubt that they had. So a lot of my friends were like, yeah, you shouldn't really do it. It's like really strenuous, like riding that far, that many miles a day, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, okay, 
right? Thanks for the feedback. I'll take it under advisement. And then COVID hit. And I was like, you know what? Life's short. Life is short. I'm going to live. I'm going to be more afraid of not living than dying because I came to grips with my mortality, which is something we don't really do here in the West. We all unfortunately pass away. In fact, I shouldn't even say unfortunately pass away. The reason why life is so freaking amazing is because it doesn't last forever. Yes. Everything is transient. The fall foliage, the cherry blossoms in DC, they are beautiful because they don't last forever. If they lasted that way all the time, we would take them for granted. So life is precious. Life is amazing because it doesn't last forever. And I was not going to be afraid of living. I wanted to live. And so I just decided we're going to do it. And so in 2021, we're going to do it. But then my left knee, which they thought was going to need to be replaced five years after my initial trauma, the initial trauma was in 2001. So that would have put it at 2006. They predicted both knees would be replaced. My right one is going along great. Left one gave out in 20 years. So I 4X their prediction. So I love 4Xing and 5Xing and 10Xing anything, right? Any limitation. So I got 20 years out of that left knee and I got a total knee replacement. So I needed to do the rehab. So I was like, all right, we're going to do it in 2022. And that's what we did. So I did it on a newly minted total knee replacement. And we were going to like make this happen and hopefully inspire people that have to experience a joint replacement. I'm pretty young for a joint replacement to let people know like your life does not stop after a joint replacement. You can do amazing things. You can do hard things, but also send a message out to anyone who is watching. Like everyone can do hard things. We lean into the hard stuff. We can do it. We have enough within us to be able to do it. If you have the right people around you, the right mindset, you can do almost anything. And I wanted to go out and prove that and inspire people. And also, share the goodness of this country and hopefully give a frame or a perspective that we can feel optimistic. We can work on the things that we need to work on, but we can feel optimistic about the future because that gives us a mojo to put in the effort to go through the hard moments that like things are worth fighting for. Things are worth doing that are hard because they lead to our greatest strength. Couldn't agree more. And you're talking about people sort of putting their projections their own limitations onto you. As you know, I ran the 4x4x48 David Goggins challenge this year and last year. And last year when I did it, I did it fasted. So I was just drinking water and breath and doing it. And ironically, that got more attention from some people than running four miles every four hours for 48 hours straight. And again, you know, people coming at you on social media, this is, there's bullshit. It's impossible to do that. I was like, I'm doing it. I mean, just because you don't think it's possible, I'm doing it. And again, when we find something that really tests us, that's the only time we know what we're capable of. And what I have found, just like you have, because we both have had those near-death experiences, if we don't start seeking out some sort of adversity on our own, it seeks us out. It seeks us out in really like nefarious ways. It just comes at us and it sneaks up on us and it becomes very intoxicating if we're not sure about that. And so I believe that this is the way for us to build that resilience so that when something does come towards us, we have a fighting chance because if we don't have it and now we get caught, the punch that knocks us out is the one that we don't see coming. And if we don't have any kind of even mental resilience, there's no way the physical can follow that. Absolutely. 
I'll share a story from the ride, like leading up to it. Because what you speak about, Marcus, is playing it safe. And I think way too many people today are just playing it safe. They're trying to wrap themselves, their family members, their kids, everyone in bubble wrap. And they're just trying to get it through and play it safe. But they want, they want big things, but they're playing it safe. So they're not in alignment. So leading up to the trip, as you can imagine, going through what I went through, getting hit by SUV head on, going 40 miles an hour, people know when they hear my personal story and they know me about the dangers of riding your bike out in the middle of like nowhere. And they don't even have to know me to know that there's a danger to that. There's a risk to that. So I had a whole bunch of people say, be safe, be safe, be safe, be safe, please be safe. So I wish you a safe trip. So most of the messages were like, ride safe, be safe. I wish you a safe trip. Very few, like, I wish you a meaningful journey. I wish for a great success. I wish for your strength. Everyone was like, be safe, be safe. And a few days before the trip, I was talking to my youngest daughter about getting ready for the trip. And she's like, you're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I was about to fly out to Oregon in two days. But I said, you know what? All these people keep on telling me to be safe. And now I'm getting worried about my own safety. Mm. And like, what about if something happens? And she's like, dad, she's so wise. She was like, you got to stop that. The minute you start riding, trying to be safe, you become unsafe. And I was like, all right, mic drop. And so true, because here I was allowing the volume of noise about safety to get into my head. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, because I was basically, thanks for the advice. I got this. I was poo-pooing it. But then I was like reading the headlines made up. Everyone offered you safety and you poo-pooed it. Look what happened. Karma got you, right? It would be like one of those messages. And so I was starting to think like, oh, my God, this is not safe. And then she told me that advice. She was like, you cannot ride being worried about being safe because that's the moment you become unsafe. And here's the thing about life. Life has risks. Hopefully we don't take crazy risk on. Some people do. Everyone has a different perspective of what crazy is. So we all have our view of that in the world. But if you want big things out of your life, If you want to inspire people, motivate others, have a fulfilled life, have a meaningful life from the inside out, you have to take on some risk. You have to push outside the comfort zone, if you will. You have to like seek out, to your point, the hard things, knowing when you look back on your life, the hard things have always led to some of your greatest growth. And that's what I was seeking. I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And we're going to do it. We're, we're going to do it in a way where we're going to ripple something really amazing and inspire a whole bunch of people and show the doubters that you have it in you too. I was going to hate on the doubters, right? Throwing hate to the doubters doesn't solve anything, but I wanted to quietly inspire them to see if I could do this after what I've been through and a total knee replacement at my age. Maybe you can do something hard too. And I believe in you, even if you don't, that you can do this. And I will help set you up with all the building blocks so you can do this. Because I believe so greatly in your ability to do hard things and the need to do hard things in this moment 
that I got your back because you got this and we're going to do something really cool. And safety is illusion. There is nothing, as we know, things can happen right now where everything, whether it be something to us individually or as a society, just everything ends. And so all that safety, where did it get us? Yeah, it could be natural disasters, you know, even my accident, right? So I did everything right that day and it still happened. So you have to live and part of living is taking on some risk. And ultimately you have to get comfortable with the risks you take, but it's not absent of risk. And the minute you try to live life in bubble wrap is the minute you stop living life. And we have this great gift. We have this great gift. There's a Peanuts Charlie Brown cartoon that someone gave me on the ride. And it's Charlie Brown talking to Snoopy. They're on a bench or something like that. And Charlie Brown goes to Snoopy. Hey, Snoopy, you only live once. And Snoopy says, that's not true. You die once. You get to live every day. And amen to that. Like we get to live every day. So when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, it is an opportunity to say, what do I want to do to quote Mary Oliver with my one wild and precious life today? What kind of ripple do I want to put out there in the world? What do I want to take on and take it on? And I think that's the the beautiful gift that we all have. It absolutely is. And there's something where we see people now that they under index what they're capable of and they set this goal of this expectation or this this hero's journey. But once they get there, they no longer respect it in the first place. So why were they even trying that if it wasn't something that will cause them to grow? Or they're also in this place of, again, they're afraid of what everybody else is thinking, everybody else is watching. Listen, guys, first of all, there's not as many people watching you as you think there are. And second of all, most of them don't really give a shit. They're just curious. And if you succeed or fail, it matters not to them. So if that is true, and I believe it is, then why are you waiting? Why are you hesitating? Why are you compromising? Why are you not trying to find something that forces you? I did that Navy SEALs, SEAL Fit 50. It was a, fit, a two-day event. And the goal was to go two days straight without, and you're not sleeping and you're being smoked the whole time and you're in the all the things. And I got 12 hours through it and they pulled me because I didn't make a time. And that crushed me, but the expectation leading up to it, the trying to get there, all the training leading up to it, Help me get to a higher level that I never would have gotten to before. But even within that idea, I could feel now, as we're pointing it out, I was playing it safe a little bit. I was trying to pace myself. And because I had done that, I sabotaged my capacity to actually hit that expectation. So even though I failed, I still learned a lot in the process. And if you're not doing something where, there is a, where there's at least some possibility of failure, why the hell are you even trying it? Like you can fall down, just get back up and keep moving forward. Like, and here's the other thing. People think that resting and quitting are the same, but they're not. You can rest as long as you need to, as long as that doesn't become your permanent state. Give yourself that time. Give yourself that ability to say, what was this opportunity that I missed? What did I fail at? And now how can I move forward wiser this time in the second attempt? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people said to me, like, what about if you fail? Like, what about if you're not successful? And I was like, it's already a success. All the work I put in since my accident that I call my last bad day and the 
prehab before my total knee replacement and the rehab after and like leading up the fact that I'm in a position and I have the health and the mental stamina to do this. Like I've already won every mile I ride is gravy. It's like cherry and whipped cream right on the Sunday. It's bonus. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're going to do it and let, you know, one, one person said to their spouse, like, what about if he doesn't make it? And he's like, no, he's going to make it. And I was like, yeah, not making it. Cause I spent and all the time leading up to it, visualizing myself arriving at the finish you know, the power of visualization as you try to tackle your hard thing. So I visualized how I was going to be crossing that finish line, the state of my mind, the state of my body, who was around. I would visualize that on training rides. And then what I did is I backcasted from that, like each individual stage. So when I was riding around here in New York and New Jersey, and it was really windy. I pretended I was riding in Wyoming with the winds. If I was going up a hill here, I visualized I was going up a hill in Colorado. If I passed a cornfield here, I imagined I was in a cornfield in Kansas. So the fact is, I did this ride multiple times before I actually did this ride. Like I already crossed the country multiple times in my mind. The mind was already ready. It already primed the body. So when I had a tough moment with the wind in Wyoming, I was like, oh, no, I know this. I've already visualized this. I, I know what to do. You stay on this pedal stroke and this pedal stroke and this pedal stroke. When the hills got really hard through Colorado or the really spiky hills out east, I was like, oh, no, I've already been on this hill. I've visualized it. We know what to do. You stay on this pedal stroke and this pedal stroke and this pedal stroke. And that was the power of it. So for me, like going into it, there was no failure. I was either going to cross the country or I was going to learn something about myself. You win some or you learn some. And that's how I approach everything. So there's no failure. Failure is only a label that some people wish to choose to use. I'm going to be like, I'm going to try things. Sometimes it's going to hit the mark. Other times I'm going to miss the mark, but I learn a lot from missing the mark. And so I'm a little bit better next time. That's it. Pain and discomfort are the best teachers, whether we like it or not. That's how we have to learn. And that idea of that mental preparation. When I was in chiropractic school before I was injured, there was a doctor that would refer to, to me as doctor. And I'm just like a second year student. I was like, doc, I'm not a doctor. He said, Marcus, if you wait until you walk across that stage to imagine you're a doctor, these six years in school have been wasted. He's like, if you can imagine it right now, and now you walk out and you feel like you have six years of practice already under your belt before you start helping people, how much more will that help you succeed? So that's a very positive way to do it. And there's something about adventures like this where, especially at the beginning, there's this sort of initial enthusiasm. And we know that adversity is in store for us in some capacity, but day five, you got caught with a little bit that maybe it surprised you or maybe it snuck up on you. Tell us about what that hardship was and what you did. Yeah, day five, we were still in Oregon. So we started in Astoria, Oregon, went down the Pacific coast. Beautiful. It rained every day in Oregon. So as we met the locals, they're like, yeah, rainiest summer ever. And it was like on record, so rainy. So it just was raining and raining. And it was relatively warm. But as we went further east in Oregon, as we were heading to Idaho, you start climbing, you get to like 5,000 feet, 5,500 feet. Temperatures get chillier. Obviously, you have sort of the mountain air. So we were 
staying in this town called Mitchell, and we're going to go to Prairie City through a town called John Day, really big for fossils and stuff like that, out in the middle of nowhere. And I checked the radar in the morning, and there was like no rain. And the ride started leaving Mitchell with a nine-mile climb up to about 5,500 feet. And when I got to the top of the climb, it started to rain. And it was only about eh, 47, 49 degrees at the time in the morning. It was going to warm up, but still at that point in time, pretty chilly and it starts raining. And I was like, well, maybe it's just a rain cloud sort of trapped on the peak of the mountain. So I'm just going to continue riding. My wife drove the RV with our two dogs. But the way we did it, she was never right behind me. I would wake up, get on the road. She would leave three hours later. And then we'd usually end up at our destination for the day. So I went down the other side of this climb. So it was 10 miles up. It was like 14 miles down. So now I'm going downhill and the rain's coming harder and harder and the temperature is starting to fall. And now I'm getting really cold and there's no cell phone reception. I lose all reception and there's no one that lives out there. No homes, Marcus, nothing. A few cattle, some cars were passing me, but it's raining pretty hard, like lights on type of thing. And I'm getting colder and colder. And there's a moment in time where I'm thinking, where's, where's Lynn, my wife? Where's the next house? Where's the next town? And now I'm starting to shiver and it's making it more and more difficult to steer the bike safely. And I was really worried about hypothermia. And I was thinking too, like the doubt starts to creep in, like, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is how I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to die out here. No one knows I'm out here. You can't use find my friends. My wife doesn't know where I am, except maybe on this route. No one lives out here. If I crashed right now because I was shivering so badly, would anyone find me if I fell off into a ditch? Like I'm done. I'm toast. That was going in, in my head. And I'm looking at the miles thinking, where's this next town? Where's this next town? Can I get to this next town? And I'm, I'm just shaking. The bike's shaking. I'm shaking in my core. And I come around a bend and there's a farmhouse. First house I had seen in probably 22 miles. And I was like, okay, I got to go to this house. Like, I don't even know what to expect of this house. Are, are they friendly or not? But I, I have to ask for help. So I go to this house and I go to the porch. They had a, a porch so I could hang under the porch, escape the rain. Knock on the door, woman answers. Like, can I sit on your porch? And she's like, yeah. So I sit outside and the husband comes from the farm. He's, he's like, you Okay. How about a blanket? How about some coffee? And he gives me a cup of coffee. And Marcus, I'm holding a cup of coffee and it's just shaking all over the place. The co- I'm not drinking any of the coffee. I can't even bring coffee to my mouth because I, I'm shaking so violently. And he's like, why don't you come inside? I go, no, I have to stay outside because I'm waiting for my wife to come down the road so I can flag her down. Again, no cell phone reception. So she doesn't know where I am. She's not expecting me at this farmhouse. She's expecting me to be 20 miles down the road. So I see her, I run out to the road in my cycling gear, my cycling shoes, flag her down, and she picks me up. And the rest of the day, we had to cut that day short because the rain was so significant. And I was cold to the bone. It took me the full day just to warm up. I was really close to hypothermia. And But here's the important lesson in it. On your journey, whatever your journey is, towards your hard thing, don't be too afraid to ask for help. Like not, we, we don't do any of this thing by ourselves. We, we love to have like 
well, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstrap. I'm a self-made man. I'm, I got this. I don't need any help. And that's bullshit. We've all needed help and we'll all continue to need help. And there was a point in time coming out of my accident recovery where I thought asking for help was a sign of weakness. But I realized through that experience that it's a statement that says, I'm not quitting. When we ask for help, we're like, no, I need some help because I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up, but I need some assistance right now. I need your help. So it's not a sign of weakness. It's like, I am not quitting, damn it. I'm still in it. And as I was doing that day five, shivering like crazy, I went to that house because it was basically like, I'm not quitting, but I do need your help right now. I need to get out from under this rain or I'm really worried about what's going to happen next. So my advice to people is don't wait too late to ask for help. Ask for help. We all need it. There's no statement about how strong you are or anything like that. It is a statement that says, you're still in the game and you are not quitting. You're going to keep pedaling. And that was that day. That was day five. And that's when it was like, oh, wow, snap. This whole thing got real. Like This is like, you're out there in the middle of nowhere, all by yourself, feeling a little vulnerable. And it's like, ooh, okay. Hello, universe. This is the ride now. Right. It got real because now we're out in the openness of the mountain plains and in that that space of our country. And it's so powerful because, again, if you guys don't know all of his story, you have to read his book, Shift. It's an incredible book, incredible story. A very much parallels kind of mine where we go through a certain amount of life. We think we have things figured out. We have this experience and it forces us to really not only take stock, but we often learn things. We often have this knowledge, just like what you have, just like what you said there. And we know it, but we don't execute on it because we have to have something as a catalyst. We need adversity to force us to put the stuff into play. And like you said, if we get really, like if we split hairs on what you just said, the only reason why we don't ask for help is because of our own bullshit ego. Oh yeah. And, and think about it. Don't we love helping somebody else? Absolutely. There's this joy. There's this reciprocity. There's all this that says when I buy somebody groceries at the grocery store, there's research that says that it makes me feel just as good as that person to do that, right? It's not hard to do that. Yet, if we don't allow the people around us who love us the most, the same opportunity, what are we doing? Again, it's bullshit ego. It's our fear. Why are we afraid to do that? And again, it's this fear that we're going to appear weak. But I love that you said, listen, if my journey, if my mission is that important, I will do anything. And that also means conquer my own ego in the process if necessary to get to that place. So again, is it more about you or about what you're trying to accomplish? And that's what we have to do. And it's it's hard to do that. But when you're in the heat of it, because you had 35 more days to go in the process as well after that. Yeah, 35 more days. And that was a big thing. Like I could have, looking back, or even in that moment, say, I'm going to grit it out. I'm just going to get to the next town warm up and grit it out. But one of the commitments we made to each other, my wife and I, is that we're going to play the long game. So I could have graded it out, but then if that left me with a massive cold or bronchitis or what have you, or worse, I crashed and then I wasn't able to finish the trip. So there's this balance I think we all need to have, and it's different for everyone. There's no like perfect answer Mm -hmm. of 
I was in the short game in that stage, but I still had to think about the long game. And I had to like let the ego go. Because like the real gritty thing that would get social media attention of like, oh my God, look what happened. He gritted through the whole day. The non-sexy thing that doesn't get play on social is playing the long game. It's those incremental steps. But that doesn't get noticed. The hard ass stuff, that's the stuff that gets noticed. So people love watching the video on YouTube of me shivering. They're like, oh my God. You know, but if I put a video up of all like the incremental stuff that I was doing, they'd be like, oh yeah, this is boring. But the long game, and that's one of the big lessons from it, is that you have to do both. It's short game and long game. So you have to hustle in life. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes you have to grind, no doubt about it. Sometimes you need to recover in order to get stronger. But you also have to think about the long game. So for me, my long game is that I want to be kicking ass when I'm 88. I want to be kicking ass when I'm 90. I want to be that guy that ends up on your podcast one day, your version of it, the guy that replaces you one day when I'm 90. Maybe you're still doing this when you're 90. Let's do it. And I'm interviewing Michael O'Brien. He's 90. He just like rode across the country. That's the long game I'm playing. And so... With that, that means that I might back off a little bit on some of the short game stuff. So I'm wise with my mind and my body and my soul and emotional health and friendships and all that stuff. So I can do amazing things when I get into my 80s or beyond. And it's so true. And I love that. It's again, why would I win the battle just to lose the war, right? It doesn't do me any good to have this very short term, like you said, hustle, grind, porn, where everybody's like hashtag team no sleep, all that bullshit. There, again, there is absolutely a time for that. But we first of all, we have to make sure it's worthy of the sacrifice. Second of all, like you said, if we take our ego out of it and say, is this really going to help people? Is this going to help my wife, my family, the people around me, my Peloton? Then that's what we should be doing it for. It shouldn't be, can I push harder? It should be, am I doing this for the right reasons? Absolutely. It's really living life intentionally, which I know you preach a lot. So it's it's coming into yourself, into the moment and say, okay, what am I doing this for? You know, because the trip was a trip that my wife was on too. So my actions rippled into her. I had people watching it. I had my daughters, my dad, they wanted me to be again safe, right? So the actions I take ripple into others. And so I want to be mindful of what steps I'm taking, what actions I'm taking to live a very intentional life. It's not just all about me. So there are times, yeah, I think you have to hustle. You have to grind it out. You have to do 24-7, 365. There are moments like that in everyone's life, but that shouldn't be the constant. Nor should, well, I'm just going to over-index on self-care and I'm not going to do anything. So it's finding harmony and balance in your life, although I don't really like the word balance, but more about just like showing up for your moments in the way that the moment calls for you to show up. And do you have enough mindfulness and awareness to do just that? So when you need to hustle, you're ready to hustle. And when you need to play the long game, you can play the long game. I think that is like one of the keys to living a very fulfilled, meaningful, happy life. I couldn't agree more. When I when I talk to people about balance, I, I, I say that balance is impossible. It's an isolated moment in time for this second. 
And the minute I hold on to it, it shifts. So what do I have to do? What's more important than balance? Adaptability. The capacity to accept what is without expectation, without judgment, without hoping that it would be different. No, like you said, in that moment, man, I wish I wasn't hypothermic. Well, you are. So now what? Yeah, but this isn't fair. Like I'm doing this for the right reasons and the universe should be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but in the end, we still have to get to this place where you realize what's the next step. And for those of you that don't understand how scary hypothermia is, when I was at 10th Mountain in upstate New York, whenever we were, as in the light infantry, we would do like 20 mile rug marches and you would get through that. But then because you were cold and wet, we would come inside and we would have a formation inside. And even guys that were inside sheltered in a warm place because their core was so cold and they were still wet, they would still get hypothermia while indoors because they weren't able to get the wet clothes off, to get warm fluids within them, and to have the ability to let their body adapt. So what you're talking about, I mean, it's, and again, you've been through all these things, you've been hit by a vehicle, you've had to really reevaluate your life. And then you're like, holy shit, this is how I go, hypothermic alone on day five. <laughs> That's just amazing. And so I have an acronym, Marcus, called like, who's in your mug? Mother Earth, Universe, God. So you can pick whoever's filling your mug out in the morning. And I was like, yo, Universe, like what? <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> but hey, I learned a long time ago, coming out of my recovery, you cannot argue with reality. Mother Earth, Universe, and God, they win 100% of their arguments. So the faster you can gain awareness and accept what is, you don't have to like what is. Acceptance is not about liking it. It's it's like this. I'm in a horrible rainstorm. This is dangerous. You're cold to your core. You need to do something right now to protect your health and to play the long game on this. And that's what we did. But a valuable lesson, I think two valuable lessons that came out of it. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, together you go far, right? And play the short and long game. Yeah, so to everyone that's listening right now, if you're going through something hard, remember those two pieces of advice. They will save you. They will help you not only redouble your efforts, but they'll they'll help you get there in a way that you feel proud of once you get there, as opposed to feeling like you're, you know, a broken person that's been pulled across the finish line. It gives you that opportunity to say, No, I'm using all my resources. I'm pulling all the levers to get there. And you had a beautiful analogy when we were speaking before where you were saying as a rider, and I've heard this about drivers as well, where the where your eyes go, that's where everything goes. So you're talking about the power of paying attention to your intention. So if we're paying attention to a bunch of the negative shit around us in, in the world, whatever, tell us a little bit more about that. Expand on that. Yeah. So there's a concept in cycling or just like any, any sport really sort of like you go where your eyes go, basically, you know, where your attention goes, your energy flows, if you will. So the fastest way around a turn, if you're going downhill on a bike, is to look through the turn. If you look straight ahead, your bike's going to go straight ahead and off the cliff or into a tree. So we know this about our country. It feels divided. You know, there's a lot of political mumbo-jumbo going on, social stuff going on. It's a big kerfuffle, as I like to call it. And it's real, certainly real. But I also believe that there's a lot of goodness happening in in the world and goodness happening in this country. And so one of the goals of the trip was to give folks another perspective. Because what I felt through the work that I do is everyone was focusing in on all the, you know, the kerfuffle, the Michigas, 
all the negative, the divisiveness, all that. And they were adding to that fire, right? It's sort of like first arrow, second arrow story from Buddhism. People are just adding on to it, adding on to it, adding on to it. And social media does a really great job of amplifying that. So that's a perspective and that's real. It's not to paint it over with unicorns, rainbows, and Skittles. That stuff is real. But I also see another perspective out there that there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. So coming into this trip, people are like, well, are you going to raise money for a charity? And I was like, well, to be honest, there are so many great causes out there. I couldn't pick one charity because this is a six-week trip. So what I decided to do was pick a charity a day to profile. And to raise money, yes, but most importantly, to raise awareness that here's this cause and here are these wonderful people not working for a lot of money, might, I might add, because in nonprofit world, you're not getting rich, but they're doing work to create a better tomorrow for all of us, not just the few who really built the whole system for a few. They're really trying to like lift all ships, if you will, rising tide. Yeah. So I wanted to, again, not necessarily raise money, although we raise money for these charities, but to bring awareness to say, look at all this goodness is happening in our country. Yes, again, as I mentioned, there are bad things happening, but there are good things happening. And let's amplify the good stuff. Because the thing is, we can fight hate with hate and you get more hate. Or you can fight the divisiveness and the hatred with love and kindness and ripple that. And I think long-term that wins out. And I think it's won out through the beginning of time. And so what I wanted to use the ride for was to amplify all the goodness that's happening across the country and on this planet. And I think we did just that. Like, I think a lot of people are like, wow, there's some really amazing charities here. Some people were in a position to donate, great. Others were not, great. The people that weren't, a lot of them shared the link to the charity as a way to contribute. And so I didn't want the ride to be just another ride of like raising money. There are plenty of events out there that do that and they're all good. But I wanted this more about, about raising awareness so we could shift our perspective and see the goodness and to be grateful for the good people doing good things out in the world. And that's, that's the key. When I was raising money for the Stop Human Trafficking Coalition in Central Missouri, it's the same thing. And like you said, to your point about awareness, I was able to raise a certain amount of money for them. But the awareness is what gave them more attention from a state level, which ended up getting them even more funding than the 10K that I was able to raise. And then that gave national awareness to them. And like you said, in the nonprofit world, these people, their heart and soul is in this. This is like, they're living this every moment of the day. So that's why it's so important for us to, even if you can't give, if you can bring awareness around that, if you can share around it. And even if it's not any specific charity, just the idea of charity in and of itself. And how hard is that to open the door for somebody, to smile, to, to give somebody something, to buy somebody's gas, or no matter what you feel about a person who is begging for change or homeless, in that moment, if you can give them a cup of coffee or give them a sandwich or give them some money, whatever you want to contribute, for that person, you've changed the world. Yeah. They feel heard and seen and loved or appreciated. If you don't want to use the word love, but I will use the word love. I think we all thirst to be heard and seen and loved. If you look through social media feeds, it's a whole bunch of people looking for validation. Do I matter? 
Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you appreciate me? As I rode through the country, you know, I saw great beauty, as I mentioned up front. Like the country is imperfect, but it's beautiful, right? It's, it's not a perfect country. We're building, hopefully, to a more perfect union, right? As we say. So, woven through all the natural beauty and the beauty of the people, there are threads of suffering. And we know through teaching that in life there's suffering. And a lot of the suffering, I think, boils down to status and not being heard, seen, and loved. I rode through really bougie parts of the country, like Jackson Hole. I overheard conversations of those folks worried and feeling pain or suffering about keeping the status that they had because they had high status, you know, one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. And the conversation also boiled, boiled down to what's my status? How do I get more status? And there was pain and suffering in that. I rode through small town America. I rode through rural America that had, has been forgotten about. And I felt the pain of, well, I don't matter. I'm not heard and seen and loved. The companies have left. They don't care about me. I don't feel like I have representation. People don't get us. And the same thing, like people who live in the city can say, well, you don't get us. We're all like, you don't get us. You're saying you don't get me. I don't, you don't get me. Like, and the thing is, is like, you don't hear and see and love me. And if we're able to come back together, which I believe we can, we have to find a way to slow down and hear and see and love each other more. One of the things that any cyclist will know, the faster you go, the louder it gets. So when I was going down hills at 50 miles an hour, the wind's blowing, it's loud, you don't hear anything. So the faster you go, the louder it gets. But when you slow down a bit, you can start to hear more, you see more. And so for me, I really do believe slow is fast. And slow is not stopping. I want to get shit done. I've already gotten shit done. So slow is not stopping. So slow is about taking a beat or two to slow down when it's appropriate to slow down because that's going to help you set your intentions so you can go faster. And in today's world, we're being far too reactionary. We're running around like the Tasmanian devil and Bugs Bunny, going super fast, believing we have to do more to be more. And that's not the pathway towards success, pathway towards enlightenment and raising your consciousness. It's just a bunch of activity that just leaves you spent and wanting more. So I think what we need right now is just pausing for a bit or two, slowing down a bit, so we can go faster downstream. And when we slow down, we can hear and see and love each other more and build that connection because we'll go faster together, we'll go further together. And I think that's the opportunity in front of us. Hard to do, because everything is pushing against that, to go faster, to place blame and just go, 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 go and get your dopamine hit. But I think the people that really step into it will slow down, take a breath and really set their intentions of how do I wish to live? What is called for now in this moment in time? And I think it's changing how we approach each other, changing how we approach life so we can create a better tomorrow. That's everything. And I've said this before, but if we 
focus on our similarities as humans instead of our differences, we start to see that. We start to have that compassion. But in today's society, again, if we were to see it, if we believe social media, if we believe anything else that we're listening to or, or consumed by, that's vying for our attention, that's literally competing for our attention with more, louder, faster, even more outrageous. What is that doing? There's Our mind is not meant to know all of these things that are going on simultaneously that may or may not be positive or may or may not be in something that we prefer. But at the, the same time, like you said, our country is not perfect. We're, we're humans. It's run by humans. So of course, there's imperfection within it. Yeah. Having said that, when people are like, this country is a mess, it's like, yeah, but compared to what? Like compared to where else? I'm not saying that we're the best thing in the world, but I am saying that there is a lot of potential here. There's a lot of possibility here. We're a young country in comparison, only a couple hundred years old. So we still have a lot of ability to what? Adapt. There's not going to be balance in the country. We have to have the capacity to, to shift, to adapt, to pause, breathe, and reflect and say, what's important here? What's not important here? And then again, as coaches, what's being said that's not being heard, what's not being said, and then what's being implied through those lack of communications, right? It's, it's everything. So as human beings, and I also love, because you and I had this like question of our mortality, mortality, we had to really look at our lives. People ask me, and, and again, I'm, I am very much about act, these not words. Let's, like, let's make this happen. Let's go forward. And people say that comes from dying. That comes from that expectation. But it also, what people don't focus on is this idea that I still try to apply with the same urgency, empathy towards others, towards myself compassion towards others, towards myself, giving these people grace. And those people don't understand that without that as the foundation, all these other things that we want to do to get shit done is unsustainable. Yeah. So we have to have all these things. We have to have the yin and the yang. We have to intentionally cultivate empty space to give us the capacity to have these huge strides forward. Absolutely. I think it's all of that. You know, it's not an either or, it's a both and. That's the hard thing about the moment. It's like, you want me to do all this? I'm like, well, I want you to trade all that you're doing now for, yeah, all of this. I want you, you know, to use my word, I, I want you to shift where you're placing your attention, what energy you're putting out into the world, what you wish to ripple. It, it is a shift. But this moment in time that we're living through, and yes, it's a young country. Democracy is messy by design. It's always been messy that we have an opportunity to shift how we're living, shift how we're connecting, and to solve some of the things that are right in front of us that need to be solved. I think one of the things that needs to be solved is like what's happening with our climate. I rode through it all. Like, you know, I went through one section where I wasn't involved in it, but I was only a few miles away from riding through a whole washed out area of Colorado. And so the whole road got washed out. It was raining that day, raining significantly, a big thunderstorm. And because of all the forest fires, the trees are not healthy. And healthy trees allow the water that comes down to be soaked up into the trees, into the ground. So without healthy trees, you have washouts more frequently. And so here I was about 9,000 feet coming down a mountain, raining again, <laughs> and coming down this mountain screaming, but not screaming as fast as I could have gone when it was dry. And then I got stopped. We got stopped and said, you can't go any further. The road's washed out. 
And, you know, had I left half an hour earlier or gone a little bit faster, maybe I get caught in that. I don't know. But I went through extreme weather on both ends. The real cold, as I already referenced on day five, an event like that in Colorado, but also extreme heat. There are times in Missouri, it was 85 degrees at 10 a.m. in the morning, air temperature, and it felt like 105. And that's just the humidity. But like in Kansas, there were like days where it was 113, 115. And we're like, are you kidding me? Holy cow. So there's a lot in front of us. But I believe, again, this is the faith I have in humanity is that we can do hard things. And I believe in our ability to do that. I believe in my ability to do that and everyone listening. And it just, it requires a shift in where we're placing our attention, our shift in our relationship with our ego, a shift in the relationship we have with each other. I love that. And I love that you're creating this app behind that. So many people create something and then try to build purpose around it. But I love your work because you've lived it. You've done these things. You've helped other people with it. And now it's like, listen, this is something that I can do to give to other people. Again, just through the the convenience of their phone. Again, we can pick and choose what we put on our phone. We can pick and choose what we give our attention to. This Pause, Breathe, Reflect app, I think is going to be powerful. Tell us a little bit about it. It comes out in October, correct? Comes out in October. And Pause, Breathe, Reflect was my introduction, sort of my self-introduction to mindfulness and meditation when I was in the hospital 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I had to heal my mind in order to heal my body. And I knew nothing really about meditation back then. In fact, I thought it was a little boo-boo. All the things you hear about mindfulness and meditation, how it's soft and all that. And for anyone who thinks it's soft, try going to a five-day silent retreat and, and realize how hard that is. So I use this practice of pausing, breathing, reflecting, and simple, just like pause, come back to your breath, and reflect. Part of its gratitude, part of its intentionality can be a lot of different things. But be thoughtful about what you're going to say and do next as opposed to just react, right? It goes back to Viktor Frankl's quote, man's search for meaning, you're at that space, and in that space is your freedom. I think most of your listeners are familiar with that quote. Yeah. It's in the stuff that you teach, Marcus. And so a lot of folks, you know, as I've practiced meditation and became a meditation teacher, they're like, you got to come out with an app. And I was like, well, all right, maybe. I wasn't ready to do it yet because I really wanted to build community. So there's some wonderful mindfulness apps out there that have brought mindfulness to so many people and I cheer them on. One of the things that I want for Pause, Breathe, Reflect, it's different than what's out there, is a sense of community. So through Pause, Breathe, Reflect, there'll be a community that people can be part of. So it's not just you and your phone. You're part of something bigger. You're part of a sangha. Because the app will have recorded meditations on it, but I'll do a live meditation each day where you can come in and have community, where you can be heard and seen and loved, where everyone's welcome, regardless of where you come from and who you love and who you vote for and who you pray to and all that jazz. So that's one big difference is like there'll be community, a community aspect of this app and a deeper community than to say a Facebook group, right? So a deeper community. The other thing too is we're going to over index on shorter meditations because we believe that one minute matters. Of all the work done in mindfulness and research, one of the things that's still lacking is you don't know what the recommended dose is. So people say, well, you should practice 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or two hours a day. 
but there's really no research that proves, well, this is how long you should meditate for or the frequency. So there's scientific research that shows that mindfulness and meditation can be a great treatment for things like stress management and high blood pressure and anxiety and depression. Clinical trials that are like pharmaceutical clinical trials. But the pharmaceutical clinical trials have this. They know the right dose. With meditation, we still don't know what the right dose is. So I believe in frequency. So there are a lot of one-minute meditations on this app. There'll be a daily five-minute meditation. A lot of the people I'm trying to reach say, I don't have time to meditate, Michael. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing my hard thing. I'm grinding it out. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for 10 minutes. Like, wait, you want me to sit still for 10 minutes? Forget about that. I said, I bet you have 10 moments in your day where you have one minute. So I want you to like pause, breathe, reflect for a minute, 10 times a day, not 10 minutes in a row, 10 times a day, one minute. So we'll have a lot of that. We'll have longer meditations for those that love that jam. They want to do a unguided meditation. So we'll have a lot of diversity. But one of the things I'm emphasizing is come back to your breath because you and I both know people who meditate in the morning. Check. I got my streak. Yeah, I'm a meditator. <laughs> I'm a, I do yoga, check, I'm good. And they don't take their practice off the mat or off their cushion. So they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a meditator, I'm a yogi. And you see them at two o'clock in the afternoon and their, their shit's going to hell. They, they don't know how to be in the moment. And that's not to sound judgy, that's just part of my experience with a lot of people. Like, oh yeah, I'm a big meditator. But they're not pulling their practice off the mat and really living it. And so by having frequency, you can keep coming back to your breath. Keep on coming back to your breath. When you feel you've been distracted or wandering, come back to your breath. And so that's one of the things I want to try to emphasize, that and the value of community, that we're in this together. You come as you are. We fully accept whoever you are. Come and step into this possibility of building community and awakening to life and befriending yourself. And Make some magic happen. Get your hard thing done. And that's where the magic is. And I, I love that idea of the minimum required dosage, right? Like you say, and there are some advantages to doing 10 individual one-minute things because what are we doing? We're setting the intention 10 times. We're able to, Parkinson's law, you know, we're able to be much more focused for some people maybe in that one minute because what happens after 30 seconds for some people, now the, the monkey mind comes in and that's fine. But understand, just like what he's saying, meditation often is the ability to attempt meditation, to have focus, to lose focus, coming back to your breath, trying to engage focus again. Guess what? You've meditated. Yeah, That's exactly what it is. So doing this, there may be advantage to that. And then again, if you can double that from one to two minutes, holy crap, that's, that's 100% improvement, right? Yeah, we start small, right? So maybe you start with a minute and... You add, you go to two and then you're up to five and then you're doing 10. And what I'll be offering too are full day silent retreats as part of it and the experience. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different app experience for folks. But yeah, I believe that everyone has a few moments in the day where they have a minute just to slow down, catch your breath, just slow it down, reflect. How do you wish to be? How do you wish to live? What kind of ripple do you want to put out in the world? And when you can do that with yourself, you can do that with others. And then all of a sudden, you might see within yourself 
all the wisdom, all the strength, all the courage, all of it, all of it, where you can do some hard things. And then once you start doing hard things, the conversation you have with yourself changes. And when you change that, everything changes. And now you got some momentum and you're putting out a beautiful ripple out into the world. And we need that. We need everyone in this moment to be able to do that. And if I can, in a small way, help people realize that, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Sign me up for that. And hopefully it will inspire someone else to do the same thing. And then and then you get critical mass. And all of a sudden, we got a whole bunch of people doing really hard things and putting some positivity into the world. And that, that'd be a really cool thing. Like, as I look back at my life when I'm 88 and riding my bike across the country, and I look back and be like, all right, I lived a good life. I put a good ripple out there. And I think we all want to say that. Like, we look back and be like, yeah, we got this gift. We took full advantage of the gift. We lived. And that's what I want for everyone. And that's what I want for myself. Love it. That's it. I mean, to get to the monumental, it starts with these incrementals. All these things add up, and then that creates the momentum and the mass. Where can we find out more about you? Is it Michael O'Brien Shift? Yeah, two places. Michael O'Brien Shift or pausebreathereflect.com. Those two things, of course. You can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn and all those other places. There's ways to like just text me directly and email. But if anyone's interested in talking further, if they're thinking about what to do after joint replacement or riding their bike across the country or doing their hard thing, give me a call. Happy to talk about it because that's the stuff that gets me like fired up. And I really appreciate you bringing me back on, Marcus. Love you, brother. Love what you're doing out into the world. Uh, the world needs more of you. And I'm glad we're connected in this way. Love you, brother. It's an honor to speak with you and I can't wait to our next conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.